the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. God's loving kindness towards us in all of its forms is always a manifestation or due to God's grace. Why? Because no one can diligently keep all the commandments that would somehow, we would think, make some kind of obligation on God to bless us. You need to read Job where he says, man, I owe nobody's paid me anything that I owe him anything. He even talks about your righteousness. Even your righteousness, what are your righteousness? I owe you nothing. But it's always simply the grace of God. Israel never once kept all the commandments God had gave them. But he still blesses them to this day. I don't keep all the commandments And there are probably days my negative ones might outbalance my positive ones. But I want to talk about this not now on a personal level, but in the sense of the church level. Because the church consists of people. We hear about, well, the church isn't the building, it's the people. Well, this is your chance. Therefore, in times of prosperity, the church, i.e. people, become complacent and weak. The church, during times of prosperity, becomes complacent and weak. In times of prosperity and ease, comfort, the church is beset with false teachers, false converts, and immorality. That's why every revival or spiritual awakening in church history always has a call to holiness. But in times of persecution and trial, the church always expands. When the church gets this, in 50, you're going to die. King of Assyria is around you, kind of thing. Where's that leave us to go? Church in China, when they're tearing down buildings and ripping the crosses off and throwing you up in jail, where else are you going to run? To the church next door? You're going to have to run to God. And the church grows and expands in China. As Islam and the Communist Party on the two sides of Mindanao, as they run amok, I can tell you the tribal churches grew. <laughs> the more they do that, the more they grow. Therefore, in order to refine his church, to separate the sheep from the goats, the true from the false, the wheat from the tares, God sends hardship and trial. Not what we Americans often think of as that. Hardship is trial is they change the chairs in the church and they're not as comfortable as they used to be. They turned the music up, they turned the music down. Pastor preached longer, I just can't do it. Whatever, that's our idea of it. McDonald's has changed their menu. 
Do you know how long we have to wait in line now? A drive-thru? Because everybody's a drive-thru. It takes so long. That's the American thing. This is where I want to go to the parable that Jesus told of the sower and the soil. Now, the sower obviously is the Lord of the Holy Spirit. It tells us the seed is the word of God and the soil is people. This is in Mark chapter 4. And by the way, also in Mark here, Jesus says this to his disciples. If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of my parables? Well, there's a key to unlocking the other parables in here somewhere. And we're not going to take all that apart today. So he goes along and tells this story, this parable of the sower casting seed. Okay, and the one that lands along the roadside, the birds come along and eat it. And he says, this is the interpretation. Jesus himself interprets it for you so you don't have to. And immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown. Let me put it another way. Did God really say? I, I just finished reading R.C. Sproul's book on the Trinity. And, and his, one of the things he talks about in that is the word Trinity, people's objections, is the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. Okay? Which is not a big deal. So are a bunch of other words we use that aren't there. But that's not the point. He talks about, if you remember when the uh, men of Gilead uh, in Judges, there was some struggle going on between the tribes. And there was this, if I can even say it, what was it, Meshibboleth or something like that. I don't remember the word. But they knew that certain people from certain tribes couldn't pronounce the word. So that was their password. How do I know if you're really on? Because we all look alike. They're all Hebrews. How do I know if you're on my side? Can you say this key word? The same was true in World War II. Up in Holland, okay, even though there were Germans who could speak Dutch, they had, a, and I can't even say the word, there was this particular city that they couldn't quite get out. Now, I don't, I don't want to be perceived as racist, but there was a commercial on TV many, 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 many years ago when Mitsubishi first came to the United States. And some of you may remember this commercial. And it was people trying to learn Mitsubishi. And there was an Asian fellow, I'm assuming by their ad, put out by Mitsubishi, a Japanese company, all right? All right? And, they, and this is what, uh, how the ad sort of ended, is the Japanese fellow saying, that's okay, I can't say Chevrolet either. <laughs> now, I'm not being right. That was the commercial. I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just telling you what the commercial was. They played on the fact that they couldn't say that. And so when it comes to certain doctrines, by the way, there are certain tests I will give you. And that is, do you believe in the Trinity? But here's the big one. Do you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? Well, yes, well, well, uh, but, well I, I believe the Bible's the word of God, but no errors. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, that's one of those test words for me. It's, are you of the tribe of Gilead? Are you Dutch? Okay, the inerrancy of Scripture. One of the first things he talks about is where the word lands and Satan comes along saying, that ain't the word. He steals it immediately, it says. Immediately steals it. I'll guarantee you this, Satan tries it with you every Sunday. You'll hear a word, it'll pierce you a bit, you say, oh, and then you walk out the door. And you run into a bunch of situations and say, yeah, but that word don't apply here. He still does that, 
All right. But in this particular case, all right, um, these things never take root. They never even start to grow. Don't even start looking like the rest of what's planted. They're easy to spot because they're not there. It's not hard. And then there's this rocky soil. The Bible says it never took root, Jesus said, was temporary. When affliction and persecution occurs because of the word, not, not, not persecution and affliction, persecution and affliction because of the word. The first thing they want to cave on is the inerrancy of Scripture. Well, you know, that Bible has contradictions. Oh, you're right. I, I, okay. Earth created in six days. Evolution. Oh, well, evolution's right. When the persecution and affliction come because of the word, okay, they immediately fall away. They die. There's something that starts to sprout, but really never comes to life. Again, that's easy to spot. If, if these poinsettias were real, they're not. One was dead and one was alive. It'd be pretty easy to tell, wouldn't it? But then there's this thorny soil. And it says this, that the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. How does wealth deceive? Maybe suggest one of the things that makes you believe is you deserve the blessing. Anyway, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, the comfortable things. I have a recliner in my house that replaced my lazy boy, and I hate it. I have a desire for other things. I wish I could have my old lazy boy back. It is one of those things for me that's comfort. You get in there, you just cuddle down in the thing, right? So there, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with comfort. But those worries and concerns about, will I keep those comfortable things? Other things enter and choke the word. And it, the word, is unfruitful. Notice that these people don't wither. Okay? They're there, but they don't produce. The word never starts producing life in them, if I could say it like that. But they look alive. They live among and look like the rest of the producing plants, but they're not. Here's one thing they do do, though. They soak up the nutrition and the water and the so on from the soil, keeping it from the true plants. But they never produce in the end. And then there's that good soil that received the word and produced fruit, and you've seen that 30, 60, 100-fold. Look at what God uses to weed out, I use that term on purpose, the true from the false. One is wealth and material things. Let me put it, times of prosperity is one of the way he weeds out the true from the false. Now, they look like it, but they never really produce, and in them is never the seed really produce life. They just suck life from everything. During prosperous times, when the church is prosperous, you find that everywhere. It permeates 
the church. But they are hard to identify. That's why I have test words. Inerrancy. Okay. The hypostatic union. The, the divinity and humanity of Christ. Two natures in one person. And I use that language on purpose. The Trinity. One God, one essence, in three persons. I use the language on purpose because it weeds out all the other things related to that. But wealth is one way he chooses to do that. The other is persecution and affliction. When persecution and affliction comes, these ones die. They're no longer taking nutrition from the soil. They're dead. One of the ways God weeds out, kills off, in this particular analogy, some of the stuff is through difficulty and persecution. And the other way, is prosperity. This explains, this parable explains, why the church during times of trial and persecution grows and expands, but also why it is beset with false teachers and false converts and immorality in times of prosperity. I think one of the reasons is because during the times of prosperity, we do what Hezekiah does. The church, we well, we must have it right, because we're blessed. We're Americans, and we're blessed, so we must be Christian. Or, democracy must be God's blessed form of government. No, we're blessed because of the grace of God. We have comfortable, air-conditioned, heated churches because of the grace of God, not because you've done anything to deserve that. And for some reason, somebody else in the world who's sitting on a hard pew, you know, in a grass hut for some reason, hasn't done as much to be blessed as you. I want you to think about the Great Depression and World War II. We refer to that generation as what? The greatest generation. Okay. I want you to think about uh, great, you know, depression starts in 29. The war ends in 45. That's a long period of time, folks. Now, Europe's been in war since 27. Right? Hitler started his thing in Poland and all that. All right. I want you to think about when all those boys came home from that war, lived through the young during the depression, fought in a war and came home. I'm going to read a quote. Uh, from Carol Tucker, who wrote in an article for University of Southern California News. During the 1950s, nationwide church membership grew at a faster rate than the population, from 57% of the U.S. population to 63.3% from 1950 to 1960. It is the most churched period in U.S. history. Okay? What did it take to get there? Only a Great Depression and a World War. Like, why would they say died in that war? 40 million? Something like that? Wow. Now what's interesting though is also during from 50 to 60 were very prosperous times as well. Correct? 
what followed the 1950s? That wonderful time of no turmoil, the 1960s. This time we go to a war again, do we not? Not the same. Thank you those who served in that. But that prosperity led to a complacent, weak church. It was strong. But by the time 1962-63 comes along, it is laid back in its comfort and watches our government remove prayer and Bible from basically all public arenas. But I also want you to recognize, after the difficult times of the 1960s, from the 60s to the 70s came this thing called the Jesus Movement. Now, we have a hard time with it because we imagine hippies. Hippies can't be saved, right? Because they're hippies. Not true. Okay, Calvary Chapel that you know of, Calvary Chapel today. Vineyard, those churches have powerful impact, came to birth out of the Jesus movement. The adversities of the 60s goes, hey, 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 we tried the drugs, we tried all the misery. Hey, we need an answer. So there was a great move of God. And, and I'm not, I know there's always, even in the Protestant Reformations, there's fringes out there. You go, I don't know about that one. That's always the case. But Roger Tompkins, that you all know, John Rickers, that you know, right? Roger Tompkins founded MCN, the missions thing we do with Asia. John Rickers has been in charge of their benevolence and taking care of the poor and the sick part of that for 20-something years. Both of them came to Christ in the Jesus movement. I want you to understand that God uses adversity to purify, let me put it this way, refine the church. Anybody ever, anybody watch somebody take iron or steel, one of those type of things, and start from scratch? Anybody ever seen him do that? I'm going to make a sword, right? You make a sword. And you know what? It isn't just putting it in the heat. It is bringing it out of the heat and beating it to death. You beat the dross off the metal. You pound it and this black stuff comes off. And then you put it back in the, first of cold water, shot, to set into place what's been done. Put it back in the heat to make it pliable again. Bring it out and beat it and beat it and beat it. Beat more dross off. Stick it back in there to set in what was said. And you do that over and you over. Now, we don't recognize it today when we see something made of metal to steal at the bottom of these chairs because it's all done automated in a factory, but you ever seen it done by hand, you recognize, or a blacksmith, what the metal has to go through to be purified. God wants a pure bride. Now, the reason I go through all this is God seeks to prune His church, purify it, that it might produce more fruit. Okay? Okay? That's in 1 John. Sorry, 2 John. Okay? <clears throat> I want you to think about what's going on in the world today. Now, I don't care how you feel about what the pandemic is or whatever, but you've got to admit, this is a worldwide issue. This isn't the United States, Great Britain. This is a worldwide issue. It's become, it's affected everybody's daily life across the planet. It is closed churches in most of the world. Many places in the United States. Supreme Court, if you just saw, uh, shot down uh, the governor of New York's plan because it wasn't 
across the board. You could still have a strip club open, but you couldn't have X in church. And they said, you can't do that. He didn't have a problem with them shutting down churches. It's just you, if you're going to shut down church, you've got to shut down everybody. Why? Because God is doing a mighty work in his church. Okay? He's letting that which needs to die, die. He lets that that needs to be exposed, exposed. He is trimming off stuff. Why? Because every time that God does it, whether it's in Israel through the judges, whether it's in one of these kings, as when it was Hezekiah first comes in, the country's a mess. Spiritual revival. Okay? He gets caught up, though, when the revival comes, the spiritual renewal comes, the blessing, and he thinks it's his. I want to let you know, God is doing up to something. And when the, the church comes through this, it'll be stronger, greater than it had been before. I know Kim and I started talking about this, and you could ask her, I got excited. I, I, that seems weird to get excited about a pandemic, about persecution. Yeah, I know. But you don't understand. I see God. I see what God's doing. But I'm going to give you the same warning that God gave Israel. Be careful. When it happens and the blessings come because of God's grace, be careful. Don't be Hezekiah. It's happened so many times. There's great spiritual renewal at some point in history. Start a school of. There are more church growth seminars and you could... I should just send you the emails, all the stuff. How to grow your church? How to grow? Well, because somewhere along the time, a church grew. And somebody decided that these ideas were out. We could take these ideas. No, no, no. It was the grace of God. The pure sovereign grace of God. It's not because that church, that group, did more holy things than unholy things than the average guy. Now, there are characteristics of those revivals. But I would suggest one of the first ones is we ain't all that in a bag of chips, so let's pray and get in the Word. It's a, it's a humility thing. But God is doing, in a, if you are sitting in worry and concern, now I'm not saying it is unwise to have a pantry that's full, some extra toilet paper, okay? Or Bisquick that's gone up to $8 a box, whatever it is. Whatever you, I'm not saying that. But if you're doing it because you're afraid of what's going on, you're missing it. Why are you afraid of what God is doing? Throughout Scripture, every time that adversity comes as God tests and weeds out and takes the false from the true and you think, oh, there's nobody left but me. You want to bet there's 7,000. You, you, you sure? You want to bet? You want to bet? Look what I'm going to do. Now, he's already told Hezekiah here, your folks are going to go into captivity and people from your household will be brought, listen to me, into the official the officials of the king of Babylon. You know who that is, don't you? Danny. Daniel. He's one of them. Did God do a great thing through Daniel? Boy, I'd like to see God, you know, stop up the mouths of lions today. Then you better be ready to be taken into captivity and serve in the pagan king's court. That's how you see mighty things that God, he sheds off. When you're sitting there and you're alone in Babylon and they're going to throw you in the lion's den, where else are you going to go but to God? When you and your bros are being thrown into the fiery furnace, where else are you going to go but to God? And you got to hear what those guys said. 
Our God can save us. But if he doesn't, we trust God anyway. What else? Who else are you going to trust at that point? The tooth fairy? You, you wait for some other government to come and save you from the king that's throwing you in there? You have no other place to go. Lord, I, I just want to know you more. I want to draw close to you. Get ready. He might bring a worldwide pandemic. You never know. Okay? Look at what God is doing and look to him when you don't have to in the sense of there are other options still. Look to him now and see what he's doing and you be prepared to produce fruit. That's what he's looking for. Why does he cut off the limb that you might produce more fruit. That he would get the glory because guess what? He also says, apart from me, the vine, you can produce nothing. When a church in China grows, God gets the glory, not the church, not the government, not a Christian congressman or senator. God gets the glory. Do you want God to get the glory? then there has to be something done only God can do. Move the shadow backwards. He'll give you a sign, but you better be surrounded by Assyrians and on your deathbed. And then you'll see magnificent things of God. Just remember, though, when you do, don't ever think it was because you did the right thing. Recognize it this way. As you sit down at your Thanksgiving table this last week, it's all by the grace of God. Let's stand. God, I pray that by the aid of your Holy Spirit, we stand the test of being blessed. As Americans, that's just by definition. We're blessed. Help us, O oh God, to stand in spite of being blessed. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand why we were blessed. Not because of us, but because of your loving kindness. God, I also pray that you help each one of us to look around and see your mighty hand as you were preparing your church to expand, to take enemy territory, to produce fruit for the glory of your name. Open our eyes, oh God, I pray. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.